Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration. We don't have an intro this week because I'm late back from my eldest 10th birthday party where I had lots of Guinness and cake. Here are Simon and James! <laughs> good intro, honesty. I like your honesty, Rob. Yes, very good. I, I, I literally, I was thinking of, uh, uh, what can I say, what can I say? The real world came knocking, fellas. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Many happy returns to your eldest, Rob. Yes, happy birthday, Ava. Thank you very much. Have I got a 10-year-old? How, I know. Does that happen? It's ridiculous. <sighs> Because oh, you're mentally about 10 yourself, so it's... <laughs> I am mentally minus figures. Um, although, do you know what she got at the party? She got um, a uh, a black light pen. So you write on something and you then turn it upside down and the top of the pen is a, to- a black light torch. Absolutely incredible. Um, so I obviously wrote poop on my forehead in black light and then went... <laughs> and showed everyone at the party. So, so do you reckon it's still there? If we, if you had a, a black light, would this it be a UV light, I, would it? Would it I know it's still there. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of my nieces wrote, wrote poo-poo underneath my ear here, like a jailhouse tat <laughs> in UV light, but about about feces. Uh, are you guys well, though? Enough about all that. <laughs> yeah, good, good. In light of James's ringing endorsement of Cobra Kai, I am, li- ri- listeners, this is just for Robin James because you can't see this. I have a Cobra Kai t-shirt on. Uh, it's, oh, uh, sweet. I dug it out of my wardrobe. Uh, Old Valley uh, 1984 Karate Champions. <laughs> Brilliant. Want. Oh, that is Chris, and that is that is that a nice sort of cheeky neon yellow? It's a yellow, neon yes. It's a, it's very bold. Uh, it's very it's, that bold. is, I love it, man. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Um, well, I mean, that leads us on to boys. What have you been watching this week? Because there goes my answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've mainly been watching this. Director Dennis Villanueva of Prisoners and Sicario <laughs> attempts to be on it with Arrival. Oh, yeah, why didn't I do the intro as Dactor? Dactor! Why didn't I do it? What's oh, happened that to bring, brought me so much joy. Probably about 8,000 watches so far this week. <laughs> so, is that, is, do you think that's how you say it, Dennis Villanueva? No. <laughs> no. Villeneuve, isn't it? No, Villeneuve. It's like the. the well, F1 uh, driver. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, Denis yeah. Villeneuve, surely. Oh, Dennis Villeneuve, <laughs> eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Superb. Uh, have you watched any movies or TV, though, James? Yeah, sorry, I've completely derailed the pod before we've even got going. Um, I usually wait until at least 20 minutes to do that. Uh, this week, uh, my wife and I were looking for something nice to watch, and we landed on the remake of Pete's Dragon on Disney+, and this directed by Ooh, David Lowry. Brilliant. And, oh, God, it's wonderful. It's just a simple, wholesome family adventure filled with winning performances, and really top-notch CGI. Honestly, if this movie doesn't give you the feels, you may be lacking a soul. I watched it, and both me and uh, and the missus were blubbing on more than one occasion. I just thought it was great. It was yeah. so enchanting. I absolutely loved it. It's it's definitely Disney's best live, act, well, live action um, sort of remake, isn't it? I, I absolutely loved it. I'm a big fan of David Lowry. I think he's really, really good. Um, oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah. Loved a ghost story. And that um, the Robert Redford one he did recently. Uh, the Old Man and the Gun. Old Man and the Gun was brilliant. And his film was supposed to The Green Knight was supposed to come out in summer, but that's been victim of the of this pandemic. So I'm looking forward to that when that comes out. He's great. Such a, Yeah, Pete's Dragon's brilliant. It's really, really good. 
It's like the one like real big budget mainstream movie he's made because he mainly makes art house films, doesn't he? Mm. For the most part, but he's got an incredible cast as well. Redford's in this one. Bryce Dallas Howard, Carl Urban is in it in like a really really minor role, and he must have just really wanted to work with David Lowry because there's nothing to that role. But it's a really really lovely film, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, cool, it was great, harrowing at the beginning. Oof. <laughs> it's a real oh, really? good punch. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> Really good CGI as well. The design of the dragon's amazing. Yeah. It's been on the radar for a little bit, but that's tipped me. I think I will try and get the children to watch it. Yeah. Um, si, what about you, man? Um, I, I, I've not really caught any film. The, the only films I've watched have just been like chuck on in the background while I'm doing something because I've been really busy. But I've been watching a lot of TV. So after getting through Normal People, which completely destroyed me on uh, oh, on God the damn, iPlayer. I can't, my heart can't take it. That's so good. <laughs> so, so after watching that, I sort of stayed and, I've, you know, I don't really watch BBC that much because I don't watch telly that much. So I'm always really late to the stuff they put out. But I watched another highly rated uh, BBC production and got through the entire series this week of um, I May Destroy You by McKayla Cole, it's just absolutely fantastic. It's so, so good. It's amazing. It's just like really boldly written, shot and lit beautifully, and the acting's just incredible. And it's one of those where the, none of the characters, the, the, they're not, none of them are perfect, like even the main person in it, you know, they have their off days and, you know, it just feels really real. And I think it's definitely going to, you know, it's going to like define a generation, I think. It's like a true one-off in terms of TV. It's really, really, really good. Cool. Good, interesting choices there that, you know, you hear good things about and then you think, like, I will add them, <laughs> you know, as recommendations work. <laughs> you hear good things about them and then you, you consider watching them yourself at some point. Speaking of a recommendation I took seriously, I watched uh, the first episode of Cobra Kai. Mm. Um, flipping heck, that was good. Did you like it? Um, and all it is like, honestly, it was just <laughs> so, so 80s, isn't it? So me and lovely. And oh my word, I'm going to swill in that environment and in that world. I also watched two films that are going to appear in the podcast very soon. So I'm going to hold hold that. I'm not going to say any more. I watched Jurassic Park 3. Oh, I watched that recently as well. What, what was your, having recently watched Lost World, where are we with it, man? Uh, just as bad as I first saw it when I first saw it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was better than when I first saw it, but it's still not great. I think, I think it's because the d- disappointment when you first see it is so crushing yeah. <laughs> that nothing can match up. The, the Alan Raptor bit is still one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. What do you mean worst? The best bit of the film. <laughs> no, no. No, Alan, I mean, Alan, and Alan. it's not just a. It's it's the way he said, Alan, Alan, proper puppet like a hand puppet going. Alan. Honestly, it's like someone asking me at the football if I want a cup of Bovril when they go to the bar. Alan, um, absolutely hopeless. Um, but no, I mean, like, and the CGI is absolutely shocking. Oh. It is shocking, but again, amazing puppet work. And and Alan Grant is absolutely amazing. But uh, the big thing for me this week was went to see Onward at the cinema with my children, Ooh. and I loved it. And I wept unashamedly at the end, uh, like full chest heave sobs, <laughs> to the point that my children had to ask if I was okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was awesome. brilliant. I loved it. And um, it's uh, Tom Holland and Chris Pratt, isn't it? Yes. Um, doing the voices in that one. And they're both excellent. Yeah, it, was, it was very, very good. Lovely film. 
Lovely. I'm looking forward to seeing that when it uh, when it drops onto Disney Plus. Well, yes, no, oh, check it out. There was um, I didn't realise until afterwards there's been a big um, uh, furore about it because one of the uh, characters, a female cop, had the sheer temerity of saying in passing, um, "I'm you know something about I'm going home to see my girlfriend," (laughs) and. I think quite a few people did not oh, like God. that. It's just like people, you so, know. So it's ridiculous. This is the world in which we live now. All the people who accuse everyone yep. else of being snowflakes can't handle anything that is outside. That's no, like a real thing. But you, we get it a lot, like all the racists and homophobes, and they always use the same excuse where it's like, this is a family show. I don't want a family to know. And it's like, why yeah, not? Yeah. Why can't a family look at a same-sex couple? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what. My my children didn't question it, and neither should you. No, so absolutely. There you go. Um, anyway, we're not telling you how to think here on the FYI podcast. Just don't be a wild, rabid penis. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, moving swiftly on. Uh, that's about as political as we've yes. got on here, I think. Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, anyway, um, there was a question. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what an intro that <laughs> Wonderful. is. Wonderful. Uh, Seamless segue. Yeah, that's a smooth, <laughs> silken segue into uh, this week's question, which came from Simon? Uh, no, it was James. No, it came from me. <laughs> oh, crying out loud, I guessed it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Right. James, please, enlighten us. Yeah, so, um, you know, just from looking at the cast of The Relic, which is the film we're going to be covering tonight, uh, obviously it stars uh, Penelope, Anne Miller and Tom Sizemore, who were pretty much permanent fixtures in movies throughout the 90s, and then for various different reasons, which we don't have the time or the legal budget to get into in the case of Tom Sizemore, <laughs> sort of disappeared from our screens. Uh, and it got me to thinking, like, who are your favourite sort of forgotten about actors? Like, people who seemed destined to be big fixtures for decades to come, but then they just sort of faded into obscurity. Such a good question, this one. Is, um, and I've, I've had to separate it a little bit for me because I'm not really, you know, the people that I'm, I'm more interested in as to why they've gone or where they've gone aren't necessarily my favourites. Yeah. I just find it fascinating that they're no longer about. I I, I desperately want to know where Meg Ryan, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Tobey Maguire have got to. <laughs> Especially Maguire. Maguire's not been in anything since Boss Baby in 2013. Really? Yeah, and he wasn't, he was just a voice in that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Seriously, he's not been in anything since then. But this conversation starts and ends for me with Rick Moranis. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I know I know why he's no longer involved, but I, I just adore that man so fiercely. Did you see that there was an advert, uh, what was put out for something? Uh, was it internet or a phone or something? Yeah, was it a phone or something? Yeah, it was like a, it was something like really banal, like a phone package. Yeah. yeah. You know, like a uh, like sim, like 30 minutes or three minutes. Or <laughs> it yeah. was the cheapest like, oh, advert. Like, obviously, all the budget had gone on the, the talent involved but because it was really crap stock music and it was just a really rubbish green screen one <laughs> shot shooting two hours sort of after. <laughs> but yeah but Rick Moranis back on our screens I, I loved it oh, <laughs> I yeah, like, it's I so nice. yeah it was with Ryan Reynolds wasn't it it was yeah, yeah with Ryan Reynolds and you see like a name trending on Twitter and Rick Moranis was trending I was like oh no Rick Moranis what's happened oh no because you always automatically think they're dead don't you and you're like oh my god <laughs> yes well there's two things shoot through your head right two negative thoughts right away dead 
or sex offender. Right, that's the two things <laughs> you automatically think when it's, it's all so Oh no. And then a lot of the time Please. you can't even tell oh, what they're no. trending for. It's just like people posting pictures of as such and such a body is yeah. trending. Here's a picture of them looking all nice. Yeah. Like, that's it. <laughs> oh, Rick Moranis. He's great. And he, he he must have a lot of films which can qualify for the pod. He, oh, he does. Little Giants, surely that's going to qualify for the pod. What a film. Oh, Little is. Giants. I literally haven't thought about that film. I think, I, I think Honey, I Shrunk the Kids does. Oh, wow. Oh. Got put that on ice. Well, yeah. The future. Oh yes. Oh yes. There's always whenever I put something on ice, I promptly forget it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that just means that we'll never see it again. So I'll have to make a note. <laughs> yes, ice. Did you have any anything spring to mind? Yeah, you, you mentioned her before. We, I was watching. I went away for a weekend with my other half a few weeks ago, and we went out for dinner. It was really we were in Whitstable. It was a really nice dinner. But because we're so boring and old now, we were like, should we just go back and watch a film? So we went back to the hotel <laughs> and um, Entrapment was on with uh, Sean Connery oh. and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And we were watching it and we were like, what happened to Catherine Zeta-Jones? And uh, my other half's Welsh, so she was like, oh, don't, she's so beautiful. She's mad. I, don't, I don't know what happened. So we watched, after, on the strength of that, the day after, we, um, she was like, we have to watch Chicago. Have you ever seen it? I was like, I've never seen No, I'm not interested. I don't really like musicals. I'm not interested. We watched Chicago. How Catherine Zeta-Jones didn't become the biggest star on the planet after Chicago, mm. is I just don't understand. She's incredible in that movie, but apparently she was preggers. So whether she just had kids and then that was it, that was sort of the reason her career sort of hit pause and then never really came back. Because she was having Michael Douglas's babies. Yeah, I don't know, but she's amazing. She's such a good actress. Well, she won an Oscar for Chicago, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She won yeah. an Oscar Best Supporting Actress. So maybe she's just like, right, I've done it now. Yeah, I'm done. Like, <laughs> she's she's amazing in that movie. Uh, she was brilliant in the in the Zorro movie. Yeah, as yeah. Well. I thought she was really good yeah. in those too. So yeah, Catherine Zeta Jones. James, what about you, mate? You know who I was thinking about, who I hadn't seen forever. Eric Banner. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. What happened to Eric Banner? Where is right, Eric he had a Banner? Cameo, he had a cameo in Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, which we covered on the show, which I, com- I completely forgot he was yes. in. Yeah, it's not totally a real movie forgot. anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he hasn't done anything of any real significance for, for like five years. And he was a genuine movie star back in the early 2000s, wasn't he? Like, yeah. Could Munich. do anything. Yeah. Like yeah. Munich. Hulk, Troy, Munich, all back to back. He was the main villain in the uh, 2009 reboot of Star Trek, wasn't he? Mm. Oh, yeah. And he was just, a, I always found him such a captivating sort of on screen presence. Yeah. Uh, his best performance is the one that sort of broke him in the uh, Australian film Chopper, Chopper, where he's unrecognizable. <laughs> oh, yeah. As the legendary criminal Mark Super. Chopper Reed. And that's directed by Andrew Dominic, who's also a pretty big deal director. But yeah, I was just thinking about Eric Banner was like going to be a huge movie star and he was like headlining all these huge Hollywood projects and I can't remember the last time I saw him in anything of any real significance. He was on a recent Netflix programme, wasn't he? Dirty John or something. Oh yeah, that spun out of that true crime podcast. Yeah, yeah that... so he was in that. But but yeah, to go from like leading big Steven Spielberg, Spielberg film, yeah. movies and then... Um... <laughs> Yeah, and then go into a Netflix sort of extended miniseries is, yeah, that's a great one. That's, that's a great such a good show. Yeah, I just thought I haven't seen him for ages. Another one who uh, cropped up was 
Adrian Brody. What's oh, happened yeah. to him? Where's he? Where is he? Like Predators is the last time I remember seeing him in anything of any real Flipping heck, yes. <laughs> Which he was acing, by the way. Going totally was, against yeah. type and he got absolutely hench for it. Yeah. <laughs> he was oh, well what good an absolute legend. I think Predators is great. I really like Predators. I liked it, yeah. I might bring Predators to the pod one time if it qualifies. I need to look Ooh, into that. Oh, please do. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. It's it's great, Predators. I watched The Pianist not long ago and yeah, yeah, he is a great yeah. man. Ma- Marvellous actor, isn't he? Another Oscar winner who seems to have just disappeared. What hands? Yeah. Are these are these people getting like massively di- disillusioned with Hollywood? Yeah. Or like what projects they get offered? Like oh, and another Marvel movie I'm being offered. You know, like, so Adrian happens, Brody. I don't know. Sorry, I think Adrian Brody had ripped someone's hand off for a Marvel movie at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. Just before we sign off on this one, two little notable mentions. Unless, James, sorry, do you have any more? No, no, no. That You had uh, my other one, who was uh, Tobey Maguire, because, again, he oh. was Spider-Man, and now he's no one. <laughs> <laughs> he's... <laughs> uh, he's nobody's man. Sorry, Tobey. That's not helpful. Sorry, Tobey. Come and join us. Um, yeah, uh, as I was researching this, um, I ended up on a snarky article. Well, I didn't think it was originally snarky, about, you know, where are they now? actors and actresses and that that included doris day where is she now you know she's 95 <laughs> you know this was when the article was written what do you want you know it's 95 years old at home where is she now lazy doris <laughs> gene hackman was on one of them as well and it's like he's like in his 80s <laughs> it's like, let him retire in peace bloody hell just leave him be <laughs> In Doris Day's case, she actually retired at the age of 50. She's been out of the game for 45 years. You can't get that upset. <laughs> Incidentally, Doris Day died last year, so uh, rest in peace, Doris. You didn't deserve this. <laughs> you did not deserve this. <laughs> um, I'd also like to add that, you know, we were mentioning about you never see Sizemore anymore. And there you go. Um, how many film credits do you think he's got since 2020? I know it's over 200. No, I mean, like, just since 2020. Oh, oh, oh just this year. No, sorry, that uh, over his whole career, he's over 200. Uh, oh, from, just from two, uh, 2020. I reckon he's one of those, like, he's, he's gone in the realm of Nicolas Cage where he'll just do about six movies a year, just yeah. anything. He'll just take absolutely <laughs> anything just to pay his bills. He's on a Bruce Willis tip. I reckon a good six to seven he's done. <laughs> 30. <laughs> what? <laughs> Go and look at his IMDb how right now possible? and see how many projects he's done since it turned 2020. I, I mean, like, you know, I love that he, like, he's on a Nicolas Cage one. I mean, he's outdoing the cage yeah. here. He's God. like, he's on a speed round. How's he done it? There's been a global pandemic. <laughs> how are you doing it? He shot them all between January and the end of March, basically. Absolutely shattered. <laughs> well, I mean, tr- Trump's left America open for business and he's He's just. That mean honestly, he's done a different feature film a week. <laughs> I think that's ahead. He's ahead of like because of all film productions halted. Twenty twenty one slate is just Tom Sizemore movies <laughs> for the entirety of twenty twenty one. You know, every week we'll be you know in twenty twenty one we'll be saying to each other, "Hey lads, should we go and watch Sizemore?" You know, like that. Don't even need to ask what I watch it's Just Sizemore. Like a Sizemore, another one. Christ. Are we gonna nip, oh yeah, are we gonna nip down the size plex? <laughs> oh, I love it, fellas. <laughs> I don't don't I don't I like I was crying. 
Oh dear. Um, anyway, tonight's movie is my choice. I am absolutely delighted to be bringing this one to the table. So here is a logline. <laughs> you can keep that inside if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Loses the resonance if you talk about it. Um, some hoity scientist didn't check TripAdvisor before binning off to visit an indigenous South American tribe who get him all kinds of messed up and accidentally make him send some appalling stuff back to America in a box. Or did he? This leaves a semi-pornographic actor and a lost 90s star to investigate what on earth is happening in the Natural History Museum in Chicago and end up letting a ragtag band of actors you half recognise <laughs> get gorily massacred by a blobby CGI thing that occasionally masquerades as an inspired Stan Winston creation. Of course, it's 1997's The Relic. According to museum security, you were the last one to leave last night. See or hear anything strange? Well, I thought I heard something as I was leaving, but it could have been anything. Sweeping teams of two. Nobody goes in alone. This place is not going to open until every room is clear. I'll go. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Any idea about a weapon? Something big. The board is hosting a Ghana preview here tomorrow night. It would be a disaster for us if we had to postpone. We may have somebody on our hands who makes Jeffrey Dahmer look like a Cub Scout. You have to let the gala go on. Something's wrong. Come on, what's the matter with you? Sapien. Party? What are you talking about? Gradual extinction of the human race. So, why did I pick? The Relic, which, of course, is directed by Peter Hyams. Um, a, well, is this his third appearance on the pod? No, it's his second. You're the last film you picked was Sudden Death, which is also directed by Peter oh, Hyams. Oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm on a Hyams sort of kick at the minute. Yeah, and this was the film he did after Sudden Death as well, so you're just going through his filmography. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not much more to go, then. Uh, sorry, that is a diss that's unnecessary. I'm sorry, I don't... It's not who I am as a person. Um, yeah, why did I pick The Relic? Well, um, I got it on VHS uh, when I was in my teens. I love creatures and I love a sense of place. You know, when the action is sort of stuck in one place. And this is kind of like got a speed vibe, except there's no bomb. That's a monster. There's no bus. That's a museum. And it's all going to go off at some point. You know, so um, I really like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just love um, that. That concoction for me is ace. Um, any creature movie I'm interested in, any um, Stan Winston creature movie I'm especially interested in. And I watched it and I really, really liked it. And I'm also keenly aware that I was a little bit dismissive of it in the podcast a few weeks ago when I said that um, I'd like a remake of this with a recasting of um, Tom Sizemore <laughs> and better CGI. I stand by that. <laughs> That's it. I stand by some elements of that. No, I'm joking. I stand by some elements of that. But um, I think that actually, I, I, you know, spoiler alert, 
this was better this time round, watching it for the pod, because I wanted to see it again. Yeah. Um, than I remembered. Um, so I'm dead chuffed to be able to be talking to it tonight. So, fellas, James, what is your relationship with the relic? Well, I don't have any relationship with it. I must confess, there was like a slew of these sort of monster movies in the, uh, the back end of the 90s. So I'd actually confused the relic with Mimic, which was directed by Guillermo del Toro. I think that came in 1998, and that was a creature feature as Did well. Did you just say Dennis Villanueva? <laughs> <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. Yes. <laughs> Graham del Toro. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought this was Mimic. It's not, obviously. And I also uh, remember a film that came out around this time, uh, Deep Rising. Have you seen? Have you heard of, yes. or seen yeah, of that yeah, film? Yeah. So there seems to be a slew of these sort of creature features at the back end of the 90s, and they all sort of melded into one for me. So this was the first watch. I was curious, though, if anyone uh, in our following on Twitter uh, had seen the film or not. So I ran a little poll uh, last Mm. week and uh, 83% of the people who answered the poll said that they love this movie. And the other 17% said they'd never heard of it. Nobody said they disliked it. So Wow. So it's either never heard of it or or like it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, wonderful. Well, it's, you get that with creature features, though, don't you? Like they get, they do get a bit like a bit of a, a cultish bubbling going on in mm. those, these sorts. Yeah, of films. yes, that's, that's absolutely awesome. Uh, what about you then, Sai? What is your relationship? Yeah, same. I, I honestly verbatim, James. I thought this was mimic um, when <laughs> you said the relic, and then I started watching it. I was like. This isn't got Mira Savino in it. What film is this? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was I I was like I've never seen this film. Um and yeah, I was it was a, a lovely like oh I'm gonna sit down and actually uh, with with interest because I have no idea what this is and I don't don't know where it's going, don't know what it's about. So yeah, it was a complete fresh fresh experience for me. Very cool, very cool. Well, in my um research. Uh, for tonight's episode, which I did do, which the <laughs> the <laughs> intro would suggest I did absolutely nothing, <laughs> but um, I didn't know this at the time. But Relic is based on a book, yes, um, which is cunningly also called Relic, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is by uh, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. Uh, what I find really interesting is that, uh, and I'm reading it at the moment, um, you know, and it's it's oh, through all sorts of different stuff. I'm not going through it at a great lick. But it's, you know, it's that definitely similar vibe to Jurassic Park. Yes. Um, the books. Um, science and wonder coming head to head. Interestingly, though, D'Agosta, who's the character played by Tom Sizemore, he's really a sort of like a, a bit part character in this. This is the first in the Detective Pendergast series. Sorry, the Agent Pendergast series, who's an FBI agent who didn't feature in the film at all. Mm, interesting. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, and apparently there's 15 other books Jesus. that follow up. Oh, wow. This. The one after this apparently is a du- direct sequel to The Relic, where, and it's all set in New York, actually. It was moved over to Chicago when New York's uh, Natural History Museum said they didn't like the idea of this happening under their roof. And Chicago are like, yeah. oh, I love that. Let's have that. Let's have a big monster doing it. Come on. you know. So Chicago are a lot more liberal when it came to that sort of thing. I actually read that in the book that the hierarchy at the museum are portrayed as dicks and that's why they wouldn't let them shoot the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely got that vibe from where I'm up to. Uh, but no, there are some interesting, I mean, you know, is, from what I've read so far, it's quite faithful, um, the adaptation. 
Um, obviously, it's it's, it's a five hundred page book again that's gone into a, a sweet spot kind of movie, isn't it? It's a bit like ninety five. Oh, it's like hundred minutes possibly. Yes, yeah, it's hundred minutes. Yeah, yeah one forty. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Yeah, so um, as we know, directed by Peter Hyams. Um, I, as I always do, just ask you guys whether we can do it. You tell me that we can. That mean, must mean it qualifies, James. Budget, box office. <laughs> yeah, uh, so The Relic made $48 million worldwide against a budget somewhere between 40 and $60 million. So it wasn't a runaway success. Apparently, it premiered in January uh, on January seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven, and opened in the number one position at the U.S. box office, bringing in over nine million dollars. Uh, it came out on the sixteenth of May in the U.K., uh, and it was up against other notable releases that week, such as Beverly Hills Ninja, Lost Highway from David Lynch, mm. and the Jennifer Aniston rom com Picture Perfect with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, 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 and Jay Moore. Remember Jay Moore? He's an actor who's completely disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think it did better than expected, given that it didn't have any major stars in any of the lead roles. It's all just sort of solid people who you've seen crop up in other movies. And yeah, I think everyone thought it was going to be a bit of a bomb. It's not done great, but I imagine once it went to rentals and DVDs and VHS, it probably did okay and just about and made some money back. Uh, yeah, so not bad but not, not setting the world on fire. So that sounds a little touch and go for me in a lot of ways. Um, Sai, critically, what are we thinking? Oh, well, oh, yeah. I know what I'm thinking, but what is everyone else thinking? <laughs> Quite similar, apparently. Um, critics and audience, I think this is the first time this has happened, um, on Rotten Tomatoes, both on 34 out of 100. No, um, that so is definitely the, the first time it's ever happened. On Rotten wow. Tomatoes. Metacritic is a totally different story. Um, 55 out of 100 on the critic side, but 8.5 on the audience side. So like a really wow. good swing. Nice. Um, Letterbox 2.8, you know, back to the old average. Oh, lovely. Right <laughs> straight the lovely straight average, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was such a mixed bag, like, critic-wise. You had some big, well-known critics really liking it. Ebert really liked it. Gave it three out of four. Nice. And said, all of this is actually a lot of fun if you like special effects and gore. Um, he he was into it. Sadly, bloody the sheriff wasn't in again. This is ridiculous. Oh, Mick! Mick January still do- on holiday. Still <laughs> on what holiday. was he doing in ninety six to ninety seven? Because this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so yeah, sadly we have no review for Mick. There was a there was a really good <laughs> a really good negative one. I can't remember where this was from actually, but it was by a critic called Barbara Schulgasser who gave it two out of five and said, it took four people to write the screenplay for The Relic. All I can say is that I hope these people have not quit their day jobs. <laughs> on the other me. hand, on the other hand, I hope none of them is in charge of anything important. <laughs> Dear me, that's terrible. Absolute slating from, from barbs. Well, Amanda Silver and Rick Jaffa are still working today. They rebooted Planet of the Apes. Ooh. They came up with that treatment for that first Rise of the Planet of the Apes movies. And they also have a screenwriting credit on Jurassic World oh. as well. So they're very much still working. So yeah. Screw you, Barb. Yeah, how'd you like them happens? Yeah, Barb. I guess they had the last <laughs> laugh. Not that I like Jurassic World, but, you know, they're still very <laughs> successful screenwriters in their own yes. right. But uh, <laughs> we've been doing this quite a lot 
recently because it's always worth it. But going to Empire in the UK, Kim Newman reviewed this at the time of release. Um, good old Kim Newman. Four out of five he gave it. Lovely. And Lovely. said, uh, unpretentious and likeable Peter Hyams is one of the few hacks still working at this budget level. And he relishes the chance to make an audience jump not only with some neat monster effects and a pile of mutilated corpses, but also with some subtleties of editing and lighting, plus one of the loudest jump-out-of-your-seat soundtracks in recent memory. So, yeah, like, Kim Newman just taking this for, for what it is. and, and yeah. You know, yeah. What he's aiming out to do did it well. Literally, like all movie critics, critics should, should do. Should <laughs> yeah. Yes. You it's watch like... the movie for what it is and not yeah. what, you know, packaging you assume is around it. If you're going to compare it to the films that year that are going up for awards contention, then obviously it doesn't bear comparison. But at the same time, you should be going into a film like The Relic, knowing that it's a creature feature, understanding that genre, and that it's very much a B-movie, and then reviewing it on that basis. Not reviewing it because it's not as good as Citizen Kane, which I think is a problem with a lot of film criticism. Uh, it's like the whole thing with Nolan, isn't it, at the moment where everyone goes, oh, God, can you put some jokes in it? He doesn't want to put any jokes mm. in, right? Why does everything have to have jokes in all of a sudden? Well, well there, was a, there was a recent um, kickoff on, on a, a, I'm not sure what website it was, but it was um, reviews started coming out for Tom Holland's new film and Robert Pattinson's yes. in it as well, actually. Yeah. And there was one review, this is a professional critic who said it was lacking in humour and Tom Holland doesn't make any jokes in it, so therefore it's wasting his talent um, because he's serious. And it's like a very serious, dark movie. Yeah, it? it's the devil all the time, isn't it? Like yeah, a, yeah. an exploration of violence into the in America's heart of darkness or what yeah. have you. Oh, sorry, there's, they're not, but there's no, no quick after he murders someone. Some good yeah. one-liners. <laughs> like, fucking <laughs> hell. Why is everything being judged? And especially all these actors who are, you know, someone like Tom Holland who's fully in the middle of this you know, really basic comic book movie action bonanza thing playing one of the biggest comic book characters ever. Yeah. Let him do a film what's going to challenge him as an actor because this guy's been, this kid's been doing it since he was about 12. Exactly. Like, give him a break. He didn't crack any funnies in The Impossible, did he? When he <laughs> no. was getting swept away by a tsunami. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> but it's like with film itself. There's good film and there's bad film. And there's good criticism and there's bad criticism. Yeah, exactly. No, right. true. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a good exactly one. right. Yeah. Um, so for your reconsideration, no, it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> 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 should we um, should we dive into the movie and we'll get picking up as we go through? Sure, absolutely. Right, we open up with a bonfire. Uh, it's not really a bonfire. It's like a sort of a camp, a, a fire in a, a campfire. Uh, yeah, yeah, campfire. Not really a bonfire. Sorry, it's a bit OTT. It ends up with uh, some dude. Is catatonic because I think he's taken something, hasn't he? Um, Who is this? Is this Poundland Indiana Jones? <laughs> yes. With his, with his, I, he's dressed exactly like Indiana Jones, but he's like he is, he's, yeah, eighty like percent less handsome and debonair. I, I got, I've literally called him in my notes, demeaning, weedy Indiana Jones is looking for a crate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, um, already straight away, the look of Peter Himes' movies is hitting me now. It might be just because I've watched a few recently, um, but I'm feeling the aesthetic here. I've got like, I know, it's my boy's work. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely is because he's, 
inexplicably the cinematographer on all of his films mm. as well. Is he? Wow. That's that seems like something like that you wouldn't want to be doing on a mega budget special effects laden movie. Like, doesn't it take time away from you working with the actors and you know, there is a reason that directors of photography is a separate job from the director itself, isn't it? It just seems like why you would put those two hats on for a big production like this. Mm. It's funny, yeah. I mean, um, I was also trying to come up with, you know, um, way back when we did Dread, mm. we came up with that term for the aesthetic of the film, a psychedelic grotto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you came up with that, Rob. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try to share the love, mate, but okay. <laughs> you don't want to claim it, that's fine. Uh, the... Uh, uh, <laughs> in for Hyams, I think you could say they feel dark and shiny. Yeah. Does that work? It's very dark, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The blacks are like really dark, and the whites yeah. are quite glowy, aren't they? And, soft. and for, yeah, for a movie like this, I think it really works. Well, especially when you see the creature later on, it definitely yeah. works. <laughs> when, I, when I was scrolling through uh, the letterbox reviews, a lot of them were moaning at how dark it was, saying they couldn't see anything. There's a reason for that. <laughs> I thought it worked quite well, actually. How dark yeah. it, it all was. I thought it was good. Yeah, most of the movie happens at night. In a dark museum. Absolutely, want? yeah. And it's all yeah. like it all feels like the 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 lighting in in the scenes are all like natural light. So like in this bit when he's in the yeah in the jungle, it's all just from the fire yeah. and um, yeah, you know that's where all the lights coming from. Maybe he just couldn't be bothered lighting it properly because he didn't have time because he was being because <laughs> yeah, he had to direct it as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, possibly didn't have time to but... set the lights. <laughs> We get a key light in here, Peter. No time, no time. I've got to go talk to Tom Sizemore about his character motivation and how superstitious he is. Uh, it's at this scene. I mean, like it's it's one of those, you know, like uh, the drip drop scenes that starts off the feeling of mystery. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the mystery starts right here and continues all the way through as to what is going on, what's upset. John Whitney is the scientist's name. Yeah. Weedy Indiana Jones. Why is he so upset? And why is he so then, after this, why is he so obsessed about getting the crates back? He sent back a, an item in some crates with some leaves for context, I think. That was the only reason the leaves <laughs> got put in there. Uh, I found the artefact alongside these leaves. There you go. And then um, he doesn't want them to go back because he's got like, well, he knows that, and this is the first time you hear that name, Cathoga. Mm. Yes. Cathoga, there's something there's something surrounding this myth of Cathoga. And he goes to the docks, and they're properly lovely and grimy and brilliantly shot. It's great. And um, tries to get them back. Uh, all he manages to do is mess up someone's rugs <laughs> that are on the way back to, <laughs> to America. Um, and, the, yeah, these boxes are going back to his offices in Chicago. Yes. Well, I was a little bit confused at this stage, I must be honest. So there were some crates yeah. that were still on the docks when he was on the boat, and then they oh. got sent by air. So were they not on the boat? And who did he not know they, they were, were going by no. air? <laughs> there were two separate crates. So the, the boat came in from Brazil, and all the crew were dead. Yeah. And it wasn't a T-Rex. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> same out. year. Same year. Yeah, I know. So everyone, whatever was in that box just killed everyone. And then in the, the other stuff, uh, which is what the leaves were, I think, was what was left behind on the dock. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, which was the leaves with this like stuff on with these like eggs or something on it. They were they managed to actually get to the museum because the boxes that were in the, the boat didn't get there because it killed everyone on the Yeah. Something like that. 
<laughs> All the crew are dead, aren't they? And uh, what's yes. the name of our intrepid explorer again, Rob? John? John Whitney. John, John Whitney, Whitney is missing. No one's heard from him. I'm sure that won't be yes. a factor later. But it won't be a big problem. <laughs> yeah, because um, he gives up, I think, after he finds the rugs and ruins everything. <laughs> uh, uh, Sizemore is called because this boat has arrived in Chicago at the docks with nobody on board six weeks later. And it's a properly rusty minging boat. It's ace. I love it. And it's big. Yeah. Um, and he gets dragged on board and there's blood everywhere. Yeah. And, you you know, it's nice to see Sizemore getting the centre of attention. He starts off really well in this movie, I think. Like, he, he yeah. comes on, and you know him from these big movies he's in. And you're like, oh, it's good to see him actually getting the spotlight on him yeah. for once. Mm. I mean, he's a good actor. And I like him as a cop. Yeah. I like he's him. good yeah. as a cop, yeah. I, got, I, was, I was dismissive of him a few weeks ago in our recasting conversations. I want <laughs> to keep him now. I like him. I've got no problem. <laughs> oh, do you know who Peter Hyams wanted for the role of Degusta? Tell me it was Nicolas Cage. No, no. Oh, um, oh God. Someone massive, like De Niro or something. You're not far off. It was Harrison Ford. Whoa! Right? And he ended up <laughs> and he ended up with Tom Sizemore. How long <laughs> does that list have to be before Sizemore gets the lead in this movie? <laughs> oh. oh hey, it was his chance to shine as a leading man. He was like in, he was just he was always just a sidebar character actor, wasn't he? Was, he? Yeah. Like yeah. everything. And if I can give uh, Sizemore a bit of a, a bit of a big up, you know, he's Personal life aside, we're not going to get into any of that, but Tom Sizemore is a supporting character in one of my all-time favourite films, Heat. He plays Michael in that film, and he has the line of the movie, so in the yeah. scene where they're deciding whether they're going to do the big bank job or not, and De Niro's trying to convince him to walk away. You know, he's got a family, he's got loads of money tucked away, he doesn't need to take the risk, and he just goes, sidles up to Robert De Niro and just says, for me... The action is the juice. Like that's what get like doing the job yeah. is is what yeah. gets him going, and he delivers it yeah. so well. And you know, you look at Sizemore's filmography; he's worked with the absolute best in the business in terms of directors. He's worked with Scorsese, worked with Spielberg, both Scott brothers, mm. Michael Mann. It, the list just goes on and on. Oliver Stone. So in the nineties, he was seen as a real like sort of solid supporting character actor and this was yeah, one yeah. of the few films where he got to be the lead yeah totally and you're forgetting the highlight of his career james passenger 57 mm. <laughs> oh yeah good movie <laughs> good flipping <laughs> movie Where's, that's a wesley snipes one isn't it it is, it is. oh yes i love that film yeah so anyway sizemore's on the boat and bad stuff's gone down He's superstitious anyway, isn't he? I mean, he's he so really superstitious. Is. It's a wonder he manages to get out the door on a daily basis. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like... uh, they, they, they find, you know, that area of, of every boat, the Minging Bodies Depository. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were like, oh, yes, there we are. And they find all these absolutely mutilated corpses. It's it's pretty gross. Bad smells. And there's a sort of... A, the, 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 the score is good you know it like oh it's really good oh bad you know uh, the camera's moving around them going like ah, ah, you know and we pull from um side to round the front of sizemore uh, he, i nearly said human hypothalamus he doesn't say that yet he doesn't know about that, that yet, is yeah. definitely coming he doesn't know about that yet <laughs> He hasn't found that particular textbook because the scriptwriter hadn't found his medical book by this point when he was writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his biology 101 textbook. Yeah, he has to meet a sassy mortician first who tells him all about yes, this, it. Yes, this is true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much sexual tension there, by the way. 
<laughs> the music's really good at this, but it's like, it's very like Hitchcockian, isn't it? And it's all like it scratchy is. violins and it's all like quite erratic and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think the music's great. And like, it is good. The sound in general is amazing throughout this film. The sound says, design yeah. is really, really good. It's because the people involved know what they're here for, they know what they're doing, they know what the aim of this film is. Absolutely. They do ham up the. John Debney who did the music and it's very yeah, yeah, like, yeah. hammed up. Like, I think it, the movie starts with a jump scare, <laughs> like the way the music is. So you just know where they're going. They're just going to try and use it all in music and, and just have fun with it, making this creature feature. And yeah, this is, yeah, it's great. It sounds amazing. Yeah, he also did Sudden Death as well, John Debney. So he's right back on the pod again <laughs> four oh. weeks no, after so right. Boston, Are you telling me that um, John Debney got the call from Hyams two years after Sudden Death, but JCVD didn't? Oh, he wouldn't have worked in this role. He, he could have been in... Augusta. Augusta. <laughs> he can roundhouse kick a monster in the face, surely? Of course he can. <laughs> of course he can. Yeah. Fascinated to know more about this, but anyway, I, I um, would have had to wedge in a backstory of why he's got a Belgian accent, <laughs> French Canadian. That's what they did in the last one. <laughs> yeah. uh, Hyams flipping loves a big, wide aerial shot of something. Oh, he does with yeah, a title yeah. card with a time frame on it. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, he? He really loves yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So we're a, we're a week later now, aren't we? And we're at the museum. Um, and introduced to Dr. Margot Green. Yes. This is Penelope Ann Miller, who was in Kindergarten Cop. Was that before this? It would have been. Yes, it? yeah, 1990 was, yeah. or 1991, that. She's also in The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. Oh, I love The Shadow. Fodder for the pod, definitely. I love <laughs> yeah. The Shadow. Oh, yeah. It's well good. Mm. Some kids are jeffing off school. Sorry, um, they're what? <laughs> they're jeffing off school. They're not going in. <laughs> yeah, oh, they're right. wagging it, yeah. They're wagging it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Can I can I tell you what happens to these children in this book? Oh, which is the obviously listeners. I'm holding up a copy of the relic. <laughs> yes, um, it's a big book, that isn't it? Bloody hell! I know. Yeah, look Proper, at this bad boy. You could knock a seal Ooh. out with that. <laughs> <laughs> Not seal the singer, although you probably could. <laughs> Curling a copy of Child Impressions, the Relic at Seal. Stop him! Yeah. Big beefy books are Rob's weapon of choice when he goes Seal clubbing. To be fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm feeding my family for the winter, I always take the meatiest tomes. <laughs> Meaty pun not intended. Um, the uh, the yeah, these kids get um, murdered. They get uh, they find their body parts oh, all over in the, the box. Oh, God. Oh, in God. one of the offices, yeah, they get uh, it's horrendous, <laughs> absolutely horrendous. It's a shame that doesn't happen in the film, really. <laughs> yes, because they are rather irritating. It's a less it's a life lesson for kids. Don't bunk off school in museums because you might exactly. get your head yeah. lobbed off. Why are you going somewhere educational <laughs> if you're bunking off school? I don't understand the thought process. <laughs> they did say this. They did. They did say this in the script actually. Like we're wagging, you know, we're wagging off school. That's not what they said. No. We're missing school. And you want to go to a museum, you know, yeah. like, yeah, very excellent, astute point. Yeah, yes. yeah. I just don't <laughs> think the teachers are delivering the curriculum to my satisfaction and I want to go to a museum to <laughs> take charge of my own learning journey. I'm taking the wheel on my own education. Thanks, Chicago school system. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't be laughing in a minute when fucking mum bear pig gets old of you. <laughs> <laughs> There's um 
a lovely exposition scene with um, a chap called Greg Lee, and they're talking about a grant because yeah. Greg Lee oh, what is, a douchebag. is yeah, he's a massive douchebag uh, who's another researcher, and he wants the grant that's been promised to Margot from a rich couple called the Blaisdells. Why do I find this funny? Because in our house, when when someone's going for a poo, we say we're off for a blaze. <laughs> <laughs> so the Blaisdells, obviously. Full marks from me. Um, and Greg Lee is a proper slime ball, but he gets given a really ace put down by uh, Margot, uh, Penelope Ann Miller. Um, you really are a gerbil. Absolutely. <laughs> Such a good diss. Such a PG-13 diss. I love it. This film is not PG-13. No, it certainly is Surely isn't. not. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so um, a massive box of leaves has arrived. And it's time for the museum to shut. <laughs> Obviously, those idiot kids have gone to the museum at closing time. <laughs> they, they haven't thought any of this through. What have they been doing there all day? I right. I've been to a museum with younger people before, and it doesn't take all day to get around a museum when you've got, <laughs> got an 11-year-old in tow. They're not reading any of the... Uh, any of the information next to the uh, exhibits at all. They're just tear-arsing around, looking for the vending machines. Um, yeah, so they've they've basically got themselves locked in like a pair of doofuses. Maybe they should have gone to school. Yeah, yeah life you know. lesson, kids. It, it really is. Um, but as the museum is closing, one of the least responsible security guards ever pops off to the box for a huge reefer. <laughs> as it's closing. Um, do, lads, do you know who this man is? No, I no, I'm not familiar with this actor. No. Oh my word! His name is a massive legend. His name is Joffrey Brown. Um, he's also known as um, <laughs> Loading Team. Step away, expendable sacrificial gatekeeper. <laughs> no way! <laughs> Seriously, he's the gatekeeper from Jurassic Park who gets oh, murdered amazing. Right at the beginning. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, seriously. He carved out a massive niche for himself between 93 and 97 of being dispatched gorily early in films. <laughs> <laughs> By an unseen creature. Yeah, it, what an absolute legend. He's primarily a stuntman with 126 credits to his name. Brilliant. And he's still working up to oblivion in 2013 when he was 67. Oh, and wow. sadly died at the age of 68 a year later in 2014. He's a bit oh, of an wow. icon for me, is uh, Joffrey Brown. Amazing name, Joffrey, as well. Um, yeah, great. So, yeah, big mad props, RIP, love, to our man Joffrey Brown. Yeah. Anyway, a big tentacle thing comes under the... that looks like a turd comes under the stall, drags him under, and that's the last we see of him, isn't it? Well, not quite well, the last. Not quite, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is where we find out the film is not a PG-13. <laughs> oh, my word, yes. Because um, Margot appears, and, oh, no, the whole place is signed off, or... You can't go anywhere. And Greg Lee is a proper douche, uh, making more bad jokes. Yeah. Um, lovely cop banter with Sizemore. He's always talking in this film. Whenever he's yeah, asking, oh, yeah, he's yeah. always talking. He's a bit of a motorman. Good patter. Great patter. And I'm buying all the cop stuff. I think all the... Yeah, yeah. You know, his co-stars as cops. I think they're all it's all working good to me. And then there's this horrendous scene in the box, uh, which is just... So good. Absolutely <laughs> horrific and brilliant because of it. Yeah, so uh, the security guard who was having um, having a spliff break uh, before it was rudely interrupted by some weird monster, the remains of him are found and he's sort of been uh, haphazardly scattered around the room. 
<laughs> and uh, we get a wonderful shot of his lovely prosthetic head over by the sinks. And someone just goes, and have we found the head? Yeah, it's over there by the sink. So dismissive. <laughs> and his brain's it's on the other side of the room. I mean, it, it's mad. Um, and they spare no expense. Sorry, another Jurassic Park gag. <laughs> but they, like, there's blood all over the place. The, like, we look at the cadaver. I mean, it's, it's absolutely shredded. Um, and Penelope Ann Miller walks in. And I think she's amazing here. Her reaction to this scene is so good that yeah, yes! like, she really goes for it. Superb. Apart from Sizemore and maybe what's he called, like Hollingsworth or something, like his mate. Mm. Yeah, the police in this film are absolutely shocking. Yeah, so who's who's like one job was it to stand outside the room and not let general public yeah, into the area I mean... where a man has been decapitated and absolutely brutalised? <laughs> just let her walk in. <laughs> yeah, let's just make sure we contaminate this brutal murder scene. No one's very professional. Let's put no. it like that. I think it's the best way to put it. Um, he's super superstitious, isn't he, uh, Mr. Sizemore? He is. But yeah. no one wants to shut the museum because they've got rather unfortunately for Mr. Sizemore. A <laughs> exhibit opening called Superstition. <laughs> oh, I know. Lovely themes, isn't it? Couldn't be better. That's great. And you can't stop the stop the gala, Rob. You know, the show must go on, even though well, the security guard gets his head lobbed off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the the. So the. I'm just going to jump ahead slightly. I will jump back. Well, no, let's just do it dead quick. He goes to a. <laughs> they they end up at the coroner's place, and yeah. the coroner. Is, is extremely flirtatious, I feel. Yeah, yeah. And um, notices that the brain is light. Uh, yeah. It's missing a buzzword. Human hypothalamus. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and thus begins the relic drinking game where every time a character <laughs> says human hypo- hypothalamus, you have to down a shot. And you <laughs> like, will be shit-faced Jesus. by the end of it. This is a long movie. It's, it's not on us what happens to you, Okay. It's nothing to do with us. We, yeah. you know, you are grown people out there. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy the mortician scene. I, I, I like this trope yes, in these types of movies where you know morticians are just like in there. They're so desensitized to death that they always just take any conversation with a cop as an opportunity to try out their type five for the comedy club at the um, <laughs> at the end of the week. Like, like, oh, don't you just hate a guy who takes head but never gives it? Like, badum tish. Like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> lovely it's a lovely little trope that I, that I have in uh in b movies yeah i like that um the uh everyone is in close-up or wide yes and i like it i don't know why i like it someone more sin illiterate than me please tell me why i like that why should i like it when it's like that well it makes it quite claustrophobic so you don't know what you can't see anything outside of the character's purview can you but i but but i'm getting i've got the geography of the scene but i feel claustrophobic yeah yeah so they're they're telling me what i can see well, they're showing me what I can see, then taking it away from me. Absolutely. Letting my mind fill in the blanks. And I love how on all the wide shots, um, it seems like they've used a lot of vintage lenses because it's all very bowed by the edges and, and all out of focus on the edges yes. of, of the shot. And yeah. you're only even though it's a wide shot, you're only really seeing the middle of it because of 
a degradation on the edges of the lens and yeah um, it was yeah. a bit like a blurred vignette wasn't it yeah yeah really good and i i, I mean i'm assuming it's down to the lenses they've used they've used like lenses from the 70s or something oh lovely yeah the wide shots look really good because of that is this also possibly because peter Himes didn't have time to check his lenses as dop well, because he was too busy trying to keep the rest <laughs> of the production going as director we, we will never know so the whole time they've they've got the police are searching the museum, aren't they? Hope for, race against time to get this gala open. That's the main thing, rather than finding the brutal murderer who's who's <laughs> roaming the halls. Yeah, the you know at this point there's a, a sort of a, a mystery unraveling regarding um, what is in the leaves or what fungus yeah. is on these leaves, which she's doing some lovely. Uh, this is Penelope Ann Miller's Margot is doing some lovely mm. scientific tests upon while cop are searching the the building but it's quite clear that something's actually following Penelope Ann Miller about this uh, includes this absolutely lovely delivery of a red carpet which I think is one of my favourite shots in the movie the red carpet rolls all the way down towards the camera and then the camera following it stepping backwards and then it Sizemore, as soon as it's down, Sizemore steps on it and the camera follows yeah, yeah. him. Oh, it's the great, camera yeah. just like a boomerang move. It's such a good shot. I really love it. But it's also, you know, from a nerd's perspective, I'm so satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> so lovely cool. little camera move, definitely. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Sizemore's like, oh, we need to find this murderer. And everyone's like, no, we need to get the gala on. And he's he's coming up against yeah. bureaucracy within the within the museum, within the security guard who really doesn't give a shit about the security of the patrons of the museum. Yeah, I mean, he is a, a smug weed. Weasley he is, guy, yeah. Isn't he, that guy? Uh, a hobo pops his head out, though, and they whack that dude. He <laughs> gets shot like ten times. Yeah, in true American police fashion, they just shoot and don't ask any questions. No questions ever. Like he just he pops his head out and he's like, bam, 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 bam. Dude's dead. I mean, like not just dead. He is terminal dead. Um, and they're like, and, uh, right? Well, he was a guy who was under there. We've not asked him any questions because we've plugged him full of lead instead. Um, right, yeah, that's case closed. Let's get this gala on, guys. <laughs> yeah, let's get this gala going. Right. Yeah. And the mayor rings up, and the mayor is unbelievably weasley and slimy. And he's that like that immortal, immortal line when he gets on the phone to Sizemore and says, uh, "You know, I just want to congratulate you on a great, great job, uh, Lieutenant D'Agosta." And who said Tom Sizemore? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm so glad we're going to get this gala on tonight. Awful way of saying gala. Yeah, yeah. You might as well say Craig. Um, and, um, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and my, you know, uh, we, we're going to get it on, aren't we, Lieutenant? Because my wife's got a great dress. Shows off a cleavage. Have you Have seen, you seen my, my wife's cleavage sensation? Oh my god! What an absolute disgrace this dude is. <laughs> I love that. So just going back to the hobo, I, I love that sequence where the cops shoot the um, hobo. Not because it's <laughs> cops shoot a hobo, but like. <laughs> really does it for me. Do you know, I think it's just like really slickly shot and cut. Like, yes. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Because the way he jumps out, it's like a split second and it's like, is it a monster? I don't really yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. I think I think this whole sequence is really good. You've got the like. It is. The, the chaos of all that going on where the, the cops are trying to find this murderer and then oh, on the top they're just trying to still get this gala happening. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's, like, it's 
just just ridiculous, isn't it? Like why oh, we're still... getting drip fed lots of really nice creature effects, aren't we? Yes. The big mm. beetles, like she Margot has to wax a massive. That's beetle amazing. A quick dissection before she goes down. That's well good. And this is the thing where I think when people watch these kind of movies, I don't think they like go, "All oh, right, well, I think that looks shit," but they don't take the the fun out of it when that beetle. So basically, they get the leaves from Whitney that he's sent over, and. Um, uh, Penelope Ann Miller is doing some analysis on these and unbeknownst to her, a little beetle crawls in to the box, doesn't it? And then when she opens it like 15 minutes later, this huge beetle comes scurrying <laughs> out, right? And it's it, I laughed out loud because I, I was like, one, it made me jump a little bit. And two, it's just such a, a really schlocky and nice practical effect. And it then is, she just squishes it? Yeah. it immediately and immediately starts dissecting it like that. Like, what the fuck was that? Where did that come from? <laughs> you do downstairs. Get downstairs, <laughs> you know. Not time for this. Yeah, I love the fact that the the museum is also quite clearly a, a working environment, which I didn't, yeah. you know, which I find really, really, really interesting. I think in another career um, or another life, sorry, I should say, if I was good at science, I would love to have done something like this. If I had any of the qualifications or knowledge, then I would have Yeah, if this. I had any of the above, <laughs> any of the above. I have the wardrobe. I have all the flannel shirts that this career would require and chinos, flannel shirts and chinos. I am your man for this. <laughs> But um, there's also that brilliant stat that... Stop laughing. <laughs> there's that brilliant stat where uh, they said earlier in the film, and it, it makes sense here too, that um, museums only show about 2% of what they own. Yeah. And the rest is just like all in the in like the museum's offices and catacombs. Yeah, yeah, being worked it's upon, like, yeah. So ace, isn't it, that? It may, and that makes me excited. It makes me feel like, oh, there's so much you can tell there. But it's a bit like Sudden Death in that respect. It's a really nice sandpit for him to play in, isn't it? It's got a lot of similarities with Sudden Death, not just the music and the cinematography. Yeah. But, you know, the one largely set in one location. Yeah. And he's he's very good with geography, I think, Hyams. You always yeah, know where you are within the setting. You do, don't you? Yeah, you do. You really do. And also, he's you know famed for having great lead actors in lead roles. Yeah. So you know. So anyway, uh, it turns out the hobo wasn't the murderer after all. Surprise! Yeah, <laughs> I thought right, this is wrapping up nice and early. Um, <laughs> and the gala goes ahead, gala. doesn't it? Yeah. The gala goes ahead, and all Thank the you. all the douchebags come into the museum. But Tom Sizemore's not having it. He's like, I don't think this guy's the. The murderer. So him and like one police officer and two dogs are just pelting it round the catacombs underneath. It's brilliant. It's, <laughs> and it's proper brave. Yeah, it's proper brave, isn't it? I really like it. You know, like while the party's going on and the hero's doing hero yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. While they're getting shit from the the, the like head of security, he's just constantly giving him shit, isn't he? And it's yeah. Like, For God's yeah, sake, yeah. You absolute dick. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see what you said, Simon. That was so much more satisfying than I expected. That's what Margot should have called Dr. Lee before instead of gerbil. Just called him yeah. a fucking dick. <laughs> or a virgin, what? which was probably accurate as well. <laughs> uh, dear. 
I love this bit in the catacombs with the um, you know, the, there's that yeah. classic because uh, you know they, they raided the 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 sound effects library for this film. It's just yeah, you know, absolutely. You got the, <laughs> yeah, the dog getting uh, you know running off barking and then the <laughs> when it just goes into. The... And I'll be honest with you, I've never seen an Alsatian lobbed against a wall before. So like, <laughs> <laughs> quite enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a brave doggy! Oh, yeah, dear. but like, no, even some of the best dog acting ever. When oh they my catch god! Up with the other right. doggy and the dog's looking at the ground and oh, it won't look really up. Oh, he's really sad. He's Superb, sad. isn't it? <laughs> he's he's more well-rounded than some of the human characters. To be, he really is. Like, yeah, he delivers really such is. a nuanced performance in that in that moment. <laughs> he, I like. I was like, oh, the poor dog. He's just like, and he's. Best mate, seen his best mate get waxed by some creature. <laughs> South America. <laughs> but, it, and it, but again, it's so well edited. You can't see anything. Just little bits to let you know there's something absolutely horrible knocking about here. And yeah, it's doing yeah. unspeakable things. We're seeing aftermath. We're not seeing how it happens. And it's just the tension. Yeah. Know, ratcheting up. Big time. Yeah. And then after it's killed an Alsatian and the dog handler, <laughs> it goes upstairs, doesn't it? And then all hell breaks loose well I mean like the, everyone's having a good time in the superstition uh, <laughs> it's a nice Sorry, little exhibit to be fair I really I'll go to that exhibit it looks amazing it looks really great fun uh, they they missed a massive trick by not having Stevie Wonder playing it as they were walking around it <laughs> how good that would have been they obviously <laughs> couldn't clear it <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> what, like, actually there on a piano as they walked in, in, the, in the guy? Yeah. He'd have no chance. If, if he, he would got, have no chance. If he got the, iced uh... by Cathoga, he'd be absolutely iced. Well, I, I, a corpse gets chucked through the roof on everybody. Uh, and, you know, on all the... Oh, it's dreadful. Everyone's running away. People are jumping out the way, running across everybody. A woman gets stuck in a rotating door. Yeah. And she gets crushed and crushed and crushed again. And then she gobs a load of blood on the glass. It's, oh, it's yeah. horrendous. It's proper savage. And it that's really how is. rich benefactors who go to museum galas would behave if there was some sort of disaster. And that's very well observed. Every man for himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's superb, isn't it? I'm sure it wasn't Hyam's intention, but I was in tears laughing at this whole bit. At the stampede oh, of yeah. all these people. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the sound effects of all the dozens of people like smashing through windows and then falling ah! down the steps outside. Yeah. It, it was like proper full on. It <laughs> really was. Also, <laughs> at this point, I'm like, I've decided that the villain of the movie isn't this monster, it's Velvet Ropes because so many people <laughs> get taken out by Velvet Ropes. <laughs> Just taking out fools left, right, and centre. I mean, they make sure they absolutely wreck the exhibit before leaving. Don't they? Oh, know, yeah. I thought it was that glass scene from Tango and Cash again, shells getting smashed everywhere. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's Sprinklers are on. It's like it's, it's yeah. like a an inferno all of a sudden. Like. It's and what a good setting a museum is for this. You've been hunted by a monster that's dismembering people, and you're in a, a like a museum that's that looks absolutely gross. Totally yeah. So what we should say is what what's been established is that the monster, whenever it gets hold of someone, it rips their head off, pulls their brain out, and then pulls out a very particular component known as the a human hypothalamus. Yes, and eats that basically. <laughs> Throws the rest away. Yeah, don't need that. Don't wasteful, need that. wasteful do, monster. Do, do you really have to? Put, you know, does it really have to pull the head off it before it takes out the hypothalamus? I mean, it's, well, how would you get a brain out without taking a head off? <laughs> well, I just, I mean, you've got to Ask crack open the back it. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Can you? <laughs> 
I did, well, that's a very good question. Very I good think question. it's for speed um, and efficiency, to be honest with you. And he's got those big pincers yeah. on his face, so it's just quite, you know, it's like he can easily just go, and then just get to it. Well, I, yeah, I mean, this is about the point in the movie where you start to see the creature, don't you? I mean, what? Mm-hmm. tell me, what are you thinking? Because uh, you guys have never seen this before. No. What are you thinking about this creature? Well, the Stan Winston stuff is amazing. It's sort of like a mix between it's disgusting, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> between predator, between predator and a big lizard, basically. So I think he just yeah. had some offcuts from Jurassic Park and stuck some predator teeth on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, have you seen? It's got a big beard. Oh have yeah. Have you seen that? I yeah, I I only saw that this time. Like the great big beard and the hair it's got. It's so weird because it's like uh, there's a bit of spider in there. There's like a yeah, it's quite hairy, isn't it? And then yeah, because you're you're like led down a path that it's like a dog or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. like who's eating these um, hormones on the on the leaves, which were packaged up by Poundland Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I mean I I think when we're in close up. And they obviously do that thing, don't they, where when we're in close-up, you're looking at a genuine creature. Animatronic, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you're, thank you, not a genuine creature, that's ridiculous. When we're uh, pulled back out, we're looking primarily at um, the uh, CGI. Um, I think up close, it's amazing. The CGI, I mean, there's still a sense of wonder attached to it. But the CGI has dated. It's not as bad as I thought it'd be, though. Yeah, but I thought that the CGI actually, how badly it's dated, actually sort of added to the charm of it because it felt more like a a cheapo B movie, you know, yeah, like I could, like I a, could definitely go along yeah. with that, man. You know, it's like I always think back to um, Frank Darabont's The Mist. And you know how those creatures that were out in the mist were actually sort of purposely, because they didn't have the budget for it, they're purposely a bit rubbishy, the CGI on those, because the real horror was what was going on inside the store rather than what was yeah, out yeah, in, the, yeah. in the mist itself. So I always like this with these creature features. When they're a little bit more dated, if they have sort of relied on effects that weren't quite there at the time, they sort of add this charm to it that it's like, all oh, right, they, they, they're, they're doing what they can with what they've got. And it makes it slightly more entertaining for me. Yeah. <laughs> like... I, no, I think that's amazing. There's there's no fault in the ambition here, is there at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, um, at the time, you'd be this... like, that looks garbage. But given, 20, you know, it's 23 years old, this now. It's like, yeah. yeah, it just gives it this sort of retro chic that it probably didn't have at the time. Is it the first time you think that perhaps, you know, sometimes you get really fond of uh, movies that, uh, you know, 80s movies that have dated physical effects. Yeah. You know, and you see them in a sort of a chintzy kind of yeah, nostalgic yeah, yeah. way. Is this like the first CGI iteration of that? It could well be the first for me. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I, I forgave it a bit more because they pushed it and pushed it as yes. far as they could before actually going into that CGI stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. And they built a lot of it, as these creature features do, around sound design and yeah. shadow was Absolutely, the most yeah. of of how it was good. And I always use this example um, in Jeepers Creepers. Yes. That film was fantastic until it was revealed what the thing was. And then yeah, it, yeah. it just ruined the film for me. Yeah, it was amazing to that point. And really, you still don't really get a good look at what it is. I'm sure that's because they couldn't really render it properly or yeah. had, <laughs> did have the budget to. I think, that, yeah, there's a couple of bits where... It is a bit shonky, but it's not as bad as I thought it'd be. Again, you know, I I was looking at reviews of this before I actually watched the film, and a lot of letterbox comments were like, "The CGI is bag of shit." 
so I was expecting it to be horrendous, dated, rubbery yeah. Spider-Man walking up the walls sort of stuff. But it was it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going it's to be. It's of the time, isn't it? If yeah. I think if you look at other movies from that era, it's it's of the time basically. So they're trying to push it. They're trying to make it more accessible and use it in more movies. And it's you know it's it's not going to date great because the stuff that was made five years ago that's CGI heavy looks terrible now so you extrapolate that by 20 odd years then obviously it's going to date but yeah as i say that sort of added to the kitsch of the of the film for me yeah i think um, perhaps like you say the effort there is like you know in so many of these things you're not allowed to see the creature yeah um, and this movie actually tries to give you that it tries to give you that thrill of seeing this creature and Absolutely, its unstoppable yeah. qualities I'm thinking most notably here about, you know, when the Secret Service drop in from the, the or not Secret, like the SWAT team. Again, useless. They don't drop in, Rob, they fall in. <laughs> they are, they so are dire, aren't they? Yeah, staggered repel. Like, they're just like literally just getting uh, off one by one. It's like shooting honestly. fish in a barrel. Because as we go <laughs> yeah. on now, we're not going to go through every single death. Basically, the, the creature goes on a rampage, like... Just everyone who's been signified as being dead meat in the first act is basically going to get it as we move through the second Yeah, act. I mean, <laughs> any survivor, the amount of therapy required to even come to terms with what you've seen is just, I mean, that's it. Your life's over, basically. You're in therapy every day. Um, Sizemore um, goes all hero on us, um, which is great. You know, I'm glad he's doing it. And Penelope Ann Miller has cracked this, actually. It's yeah. got this thing. While all this is going on, she's got a computer running a breakdown of the DNA or the DNA construct of this creature that's kicking her out. And she finds out that it's actually primarily human. Oh, my God. It's homo sapien. I wonder who oh it could be. God. Yes. <laughs> the only thing missing is the terrible um, leather westcut and uh, and fedora of uh, John Whitney from earlier. I would have loved that the creature had in the fedora. If you, if you look closely and he's running around, he had a fedora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's John Whitney. He's, Give it he's away straight away. Though, it is. Uh, yeah. Now, can I, can I talk a little bit about science in these films? Because we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with yeah. The Lost World, where I felt... Um, rightly or wrongly, that perhaps a lack of science, you know, that there was so much, the right amount of science in the first movie to give you that sense of wonder and that yeah. you think, oh my God, it could possibly, it could be possible. And I think this is where this movie actually does this right. Um, here, I think if you add science and make it sound just like, a, just make it sound like a 10th credible, yeah. you know, you increase the believability of your story, you increase the, um, your connection to what it is that you're watching. And this becomes 10 times more wondrous just because you've gone that little extra effort. So every time they say human hypothalamus, they're making, I think they're making you invest more in this film. They're trying to make you understand... You were making me laugh re- quite a bit, to be fair. Yes, yeah. Well, <laughs> laughter equals endorphins equals enjoyment. You're enjoying it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the best one, the best instance of that was when... Um... Uh, Margot, Dr. Green was trying to explain it in layman's terms. She says like, oh, and they eat the human brain. And he goes, don't you mean the human hypothalamus? (laughs) 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 It's like, for God's sake. (laughs) Yes, yes. She's trying to be basic for everyone. (laughs) So basically, loads of people have been killed at this point. There's Penelope Ann Miller and Tom Sizemore trying to stop the beast. And then another group of survivors who are actually trying to escape 
out of with the, Hollingsworth. I love with Hollingsworth. Hollingsworth. He's, I love he's Hollingsworth. an underrated yeah. hero in there. Through the yeah, sewers. Yeah, really uh, a couple of them get picked off, but we didn't really, including the cop who shot the hobo for no reason. There's heads whazzing off everywhere at this Oh, point. yeah, there is. There's lovely amount of gore in this. There really is. Schlocky effects. And it's really, it's what you come for. It's, it's very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, Sizemore locks the door and lets, um, you know, Penelope Ann Miller into the offices area. But um, the beast has bypassed him, so he's got to try and fight his way in again. Um, and it comes in from the roof, and she's she suddenly takes the lead now. Like, yes, fully takes she's the lead. She's a of the badass. Movie. She is a she's total aces, badass. Isn't she? Yeah, she's yeah. Really, really good. She makes a, a she's really interesting character, really resourceful and great at holding her own. Um, so yeah, I, I love this. Um, and she has a lovely Van Damme bomb thing that she makes um, out of a, a, jar, a mason jar with some stuff. Yeah. Another similarity to sudden death, yeah. Doesn't throw it at one of her children this time, which is disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Always a bonus. Uh, Yeah, and then um, she chucks it and everything sets on fire. And um, a big boom is incoming because has she done something else? Oh, she binned all the chemicals all over the floor, didn't she? To make everything super flammable. Again, super resourceful. It's a real fire hazard. It really is. Um, Which Cathoga ends up on fire. Which doesn't look that great. No, this is where it's quite poor, isn't it? We're a little bit... Uh, we're not quite at Lord of the Rings yet, are we, in terms of fire monsters? And this is uh, not the best example of this. It looks Only four years later, by the way. Yeah, it looks like a PS1 cutscene, though, doesn't it? It really, really it, does. All the but... real-life explosions around it look ace, though. It's just <laughs> weird. Yeah. I wanted to, I've got a few questions about the monster itself. Once she figures out that the monster is John Whitney, right, even though he's not wearing his fedora, she's figured it out due to his DNA, is the implication that he knows who she is within all of that monstrousness? Because he doesn't just rip her head off straight away, does it? There is that implication because she says earlier on, she infers that he's a bit of a sleaze, a bit of a creep. Yeah, yeah. And, And then when he's a big old monster, he licks her. Yeah. Right across the chest and face and stuff. And... That's a bit horrible. It is, yeah. I thought that was the shunkiest bit of CGI was the tongue. Yeah, that uh, looked really yeah. rough, didn't it? Yeah, that looked. Yeah, that looked pretty bad. But then, yeah, it's always you always get because the, the climax, and it's like, oh, we have to have yeah. uh, a, a big wet rubbery tongue, don't we? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you've got Stan Winston there getting to build you a big wet rubbery tongue and use that yeah. as a puppet instead of doing the CGI. Yeah. He'll nick one from the set of The Lost World and let you use that. Yeah, that same year, that tongue looked a lot better than this. He's got it in his workshop, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, as it's just about to go off, she climbs in a great big vat where they're letting... Oh, I don't know what they're doing in that. <laughs> science. Some science yeah. stuff's happening in that thing. And she jumps in and closes it, and Cathoga gets blown to pieces, and it's, it's an ace ending, actually, and a really good hero moment for Margot Green as well. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I've got yeah. a question about Cathogo. So I want to make sure that I understood how this monster came about in the first place and what its purpose was. We're going right back to the beginning here. So John Whitney's around the campfire, isn't he? And he looks like a guy who's uh, spent thousands of pounds to go down uh, and find himself in South America. And he's having he having what looks like some ayahuasca or something like that, some mind-bending thing that's going to put him in touch with his soul. But that's actually the thing that turns him into the monster. 
Am I correct in thinking that? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Oh, yes. I have no idea. Yeah, why not? Yeah, because the idea was that the the tribes give this particular hormone, what was on the leaves, to an animal, and then they set that animal onto on their, their enemies. Enemies. The animal will then, uh, in order to survive, needs the hormones that are in the human hypothalamus, kills all the people <laughs> in the enemy tribe, eats all the hypothalamuses. Hypothalami. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can't regulate itself. And then, because there's no hypothalamuses and the tribe who set it on their enemies, they're all hiding. It dies, basically. And then they all come out of hiding and go, we've got no enemies anymore. That's basically yeah. how it works, yeah, isn't it's it? Like a weapon. I think that's right, yeah. It's yeah. like alien, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and why... Why Wayland Yutani wanted the Xenomorph was to do exactly that, wasn't it? Because there's a lot of similarities to Alien and Yeah, there is. Yeah, it's cribbing from Jaws, isn't it? Oh, with yeah. all, particularly yeah. at the start with all the floating heads in the boat as well. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, it ends really with Sizemore sidelined, I think. Margot yeah. Green is, yeah. is the hero at the end. And Absolutely, I'm dead happy yeah. about that. It's good. Dead happy about that. It's good. Nice subversion. And I love the ending because, yeah, she he, put, he takes her out. Because she's done all the hero stuff, she saved everybody. He takes her out of the um, the museum, and we have just pulled back on the museum the reverse of the aerial shot from earlier. Yeah, where Hyam's just the score got, the score finishes off. Uh, so, sort of, like I, I don't know what's the reverse of an establishing shot. This is where it was a de-establishing shot. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. This is where we've been. Bang some credits over it and let's get out of credits, it. <laughs> job done. The relic is finished. Yeah. Uh, can I get your favourite bits, fellas? James, what's your favourite bit? Oh, we've already sort of touched on it, but um, it'd have to be a moment of carnage because they're just so oh, wonderfully yeah, put together. Yeah. But my favourite bit is the staggered rooftop repel from that god-awful SWAT team <laughs> as they all come in one by one and get ripped to pieces. And in particular, the one who's trying to escape back up onto the roof, he gets bitten in half and flopped onto the roof of the museum by a oh, barely bothered great. colleague. And he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> barely bothered? Like, oh, like, not this again. Oh, no, Steve's been bitten in half. I'm sick to the back teeth of rappelling into museums to fight mythical South American creatures. <laughs> what about you, Sai? What's your favourite bit? My favourite bit, uh, again, we briefly touched on it, was when they're all in the exhibition just before the monster like comes out and starts just taking names. It, all the blood's dripping down on this, this unsuspecting woman and she doesn't notice it. And then it, it just like literally starts with a with a smash crash and a bang when a cop drops down and smashes through the glass case and in this glass case is a bunch of spears. So not only does he, is he been, he's not only has he been absolutely mullered by this monster, his body then smashes through this glass case and then just impales himself onto all these spears. It's like Jesus. <laughs> That guy absolutely gets it. <laughs> uh, but uh, another quick mention, because I didn't think we mentioned it, but there was a really another good bit was um, when Greg dies, the douchebag Greg. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's running away, and it's uh, the second week in another Hall of Mirrors. And, um, he, he gets scared, and he's like, uh, he turns around, and he gets scared, and he's like, oh, no, it's just a reflection of me. But then you see the monster behind him, but the shot is amazing. Like the yeah, way he's just, he's just lit the monster. Yeah. It's so, so yeah. good. It's brilliant. And that. He gets his comeuppance, the yeah. gerbil. Yeah, I particularly I mean, enjoyed the bit where you see Ray Tango running for his life in the background. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jack Palance is lost. Ooh, wrong door. How do you get out of this damn museum? Cathoga and cash. Cash and Cathoga. I thought I had problems with tango. <laughs> what was yours, Rob? I actually think uh, there's a bit that, again, another bit that we didn't talk about because this this film so much happens and it doesn't pause for breath at any point, really. But no, I'm going to say there's a bit where they have to navigate in the catacombs a flooded area. Yeah. And Cathoga is underwater behind them. And uh, it's ace, it's terrifying. And one of them gets dragged under and. Um, it's like it's super claustrophobic and gross. It's lit really well. You barely see anything of the creature apart from a tail, and you, all you can imagine is just what horror is happening under the surface. Um, and I think that's like what all movies, great movies like this, this does. You know, like what horrible things are happening in the places you can't see, like under the surface, like in the shadows. So yeah, I'll definitely say that I loved it. Um, also, yeah, massive props to calling Greg Lee a gerbil. Um, so. FYR, for your reconsideration. Uh, James? Yeah, so uh, this was a real treat, actually. It's a really satisfying creature feature that leans fully into its ridiculous premise to deliver a thrilling piece of Friday night popcorn entertainment. What it lacks in genuine scares, it more than makes up for with atmospheric cinematography, bonkers creature design, and some enjoyably rubbish late 90s CGI. In short, it's a big, daft, Monster Mash, and I enjoyed every second of Get it. Get in there. So I would recommend. Oh, I'm delighted with that, man. I, I didn't actually know that neither of you, neither of you had seen it. Yeah. So this is like, I thought I had. Nope. <laughs> no, I felt I felt like quite, you know, when you both said it earlier, I was like, ah. So what about you? Oh, yeah, exactly the same. I really, really got a kick out of watching this. Um, oh, get in, man. Yeah, I just thought it was tons of fun. A lot of people moaned about how it was really darkly lit and very sparse in terms of its its lighting, but I really like that about it. I liked how it was very low key on that sense of it, and it was all quite dark and and brooding, and um, it just hyped up the tension a bit more because you couldn't really get that from the monster because the CGI couldn't do it, and the practical effects you didn't want to pull the curtain back too much on that. So I, yeah, I I loved all the different ways Hyams and the crew used other ways to to build up that tension and make the scares happen, and everyone was sort of chipping into that. It's a bit crappy in the script, let's be honest. the The science is hilarious. I think there's one point where, um, you know, that the old geezer in the wheelchair, and he says like he's asking where Doctor Green is, and instead of just going, "Oh, I'm over here," she goes, "I buy the electron microscope." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just say I'm over. <laughs> uh, no, I loved it. I, I I got a massive kick out of this. I thought it was a great movie. I, if you've never seen it, like me, you thought it was a completely different one. Yes. Um, yeah, get definitely definitely watch it. It's great. It's really good. Oh my god, lads! You've honestly made my day with this. Um, for myself, I I had this. Whenever an S asks me about movies that don't get a lot of love, but I really like, I've always said The Relic, um, and I've had this on my radar for this podcast for so long. And I, I'd almost like bought into the fact, I think in my own head, that the CGI was a bit dated at the end, and you know, you could tell it, oh, you could tell it wasn't real, you know, like, of course, <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> Give over. This is not based on a uh, true story. This is not. The- <laughs> Don't let the science deceive you. Don't let the amount of time someone says hypothalamus deceive you. It is not a true story. 
I I just think like think of it in like more like the most basic terms. There's a gala op- gala opening of a event or an exhibition at a at a massive American natural history museum that already looks pretty creepy, and loads of people get locked inside with a mythical kind of monster that is shredding everybody. How's that not fun? How's that yeah. not enjoyable? And then you've got it delivered like this with a cast that's going for it. They're not famous. You know, there's no really recognisable names in there in a sort of 2020 sense at all. Um, but they're all going for it. It's, it's absolutely great. Stan Winston could, I mean, I, he could t- turn his hand to any creature for me and it would be amazing. Um, but what he's done here is another really fascinating creature design. Um and this, you know, in a lot of ways, this is probably is cutting edge CGI for the time. They definitely tried to give the the audience as much bang for the book as they possibly could. Yeah. Um, there's no fudge in the issue here. They try to show you the monster a number of times in full. And I just think it's loads and loads and loads of fun. And I'm invested enough to enjoy it. Um, I watched it again, obviously, this time for the first time. And I think 10 years has been the last time I watched it. And I was so surprised at how much better it was than I remembered. So, I, yeah, I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. Please, everyone at home. It's on BBC iPlayer um, for a while. I checked, actually. It's going to be on there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. for the next two months, yeah. Yeah, two months. Um, so get on there. Get it sorted um, if you're looking for something to watch on a Friday night. Yeah, thank you so much, fellas. No, thank you for bringing it to us. <laughs> Lovely response. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I love that tonight, dudes. Um, our next movie is whose pick is it? It's mine. Is it, is it yours, James? What yes. have you got for us? Well, we're going to have uh, Wesley Snipes back on the pod, and we're going to do what is, I believe, to be a seminal comic book adaptation. We're going to do Blade. It is a seminal comic book adaptation. How does this film qualify? Oh, my days. We'll have to tune in next time to find out, Simon. (laughs) Or come on the pod, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. I I look forward to that one, fellas. So from this point onwards, new episodes of For Your Reconsideration will drop every other Tuesday. Please tune in next time for Blade. Um, and also, please get in touch with us on Twitter. We love interacting with you guys at FOR Film Pod. Uh, and send us emails, yada, 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 at gmail.com. Gmail.com. For Your Reconsideration at gmail.com. No one ever does. Don't know why I say it. And, um, yeah, please give us uh, five stars on your subscription service of choice. As Until next time, see you, uh, see you soon. Say goodbye, boys. Goodbye. See ya. Tatty bye.